If you would, open your Bibles this morning, the Gospel of Matthew this morning, and we're going to start in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 24. The title of this morning's message, the new series title is Why Limith, and it's family spelled backwards, and the title of this morning's message is Married, Singles, and Strangers. But just so the people hearing this on the CD or listening on the internet understand what's going on, Mr. and Mrs. Smith are a couple that has been married for five six years and they are both spies and they both have their separate lives and they've hidden it from each other all these years and they went on this mission and they were supposed to go do the same job hired by two different companies and they find out what each other does and so this last scene was where they came home and they realized that each other knows what each other does and so now they're realizing what's taking place what's going on and this is how it all escalates i showed that video clip for this certain reason a lot of the interview portion in the beginning we found rather humorous but when you really do a lot of marriage counseling you would be surprised how much reality is really in those how long have y'all been married five six years you find out a lot of things that are going on and, and so in this series called the family we're going to deal with a ton of the issues that you saw taking place throughout this whole scene and everything like that and, and we want to make this series on the family fun we want to make this series on the family exciting we want to make this series on the family intentional we want to make this series on the family life-changing but i don't believe that series on the family need to come in where wives are saying husband you need to come to church and you need to listen to this message about being a good daddy because all the husbands think is i'm going to get beat up and told how bad of a dad I am told me everything I need to change that's not the purpose and intent of this series it's not the purpose and intent to make moms feel degraded and like they're doing a horrible job it's not the intent to make dads feel like they're being horrible that kids are the worst things in the history of the world in fact we're going to change our whole perspective on family and that's going to start by decisions you're going to make before you leave here today and so as we start this series we're going to read our key verse of scripture that we'll read throughout this whole series and it's out of the gospel of Matthew with the sermon on the mount and it's Matthew chapter chapter number seven and starting in verse 24 and it says everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great fall so i've titled this uh, sermon series why limith because it is family spelled backwards and a lot of us in the life and the age that we live in we're doing family backwards and we wonder why we're reaping a lot of the stuff we're reaping we're seeing things take place in this generation that we've never seen before and throughout this series i'm giving a sunday morning sermon to damon and he's going to bring a message this month and he's going to do an awesome job explaining a lot of the things that take place in this generation so i'm excited for you to hear about that message and we're seeing a lot of things in this generation that we've never seen before young people in suicides are astronomically going through the roof young people in pre-marriage pregnancies and pre-teen pregnancies and yes I said pre-teen pregnancies and teenage pregnancies are skyrocketing drug use is at an all-time high you guys this generation we're seeing something that we've never seen before but I believe in a God who can still change a whole generation but I do believe it's going to start with the structure of the family I believe it's going to start back with the households in the churches that we live in. And I want to encourage you this morning. We have different dynamics all across this church of families. 
We got husband and wife couples. We got mixed race couples. We got single moms. We got single dads. We got the whole gamut. But I believe that God is no respecter of persons. God is a respecter of faith and putting into practice his words because Jesus said, he who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. I want you to think of the term house. We always use this term house, and we think of a physical structure of a house, and yes, that is what Jesus was talking about, but I also believe it's the physical structure of the home. He who builds his home on the rock. Now, you know there's a big difference between going into a house and going into a home. Amen? There are certain things that make a home a home, but a house is just the bricks and the mortar and the, and the sticks and the glue and the nails and everything that holds it together. I believe Jesus, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, in this discourse of the Sermon on the Mount, he wants to turn families around by saying one simple thing. Build your family on my words. The words of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, the intent of this message is very simply focused. It's us getting intentional about our families. I've titled this morning's message, Married, Singles, and Strangers, because this term describes many household relationships in the church today. Many of us in the husband and wife relationship throughout the church, after the first three, four, or five years, and, and the newlyweds time is weared off, we always become what we in counseling call married singles or your roommates, your people living in the same house, but you have no interaction, you have no conversations, you have no true discourse or dialogue. There is no pursuing of one another anymore. You become married singles, but then you become singles that become strangers. So the title of this morning's message is Married Singles than strangers, because there's an old country song that used to play all the time. There's a stranger in my house. I shudder to think a lot of our married families, even in the church, we have strangers in each other's house. Because after a certain time, we think we know each other so well that we just begin to drift apart. And you're really strangers. You're just roommates living in the same house. And that's why I believe marriage and divorce rates are going through the roof like never before. As we talk about married, singles, and then strangers, I want you to remember these words. A lot of people read that paragraph that we just read, and we read it like this. Many people read it and says, it is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But we read it like this. I am saved, so I am a wise man. And so everything's going to be good. That's not what it says. A lot of us think when we read that, that Jesus is talking about the saved people. And you think because you're saved, you're automatically the wise man. That doesn't make you a wise man. You were wise at one point when you received Christ. Don't get me wrong. But if you don't continue to build your life on Jesus Christ, you are no longer wise. And you're setting yourself up for a great fall. And in that great fall, a lot of things happen. And there's things that the world calls collateral damage. Where kids get hurt. Family members get hurt. People get hurt. And hurts aren't fun to deal with. In fact, hurting people are the, what breaks our heart the most in ministry. And so as we get started in this series this morning, I want to read to you the facts about what Jesus said in the scriptures. The facts are this. In both houses, you had the one on the rock and the one on the sand. In both houses, the rains came, the floods came, the winds came, and they all beat upon both houses. So just because you are married and you go to church every single Sunday does not mean your house will not come under rains, winds, and get beat upon from time to time. Because the truth of the matter is this. As long as we are here on this earth, whether saved or lost, the world in itself is fallen and broken and still dying. And if we live in a fallen, broken society, culture that is still dying, you are susceptible to get beat upon, for the rains to come, for the winds to blow, and your house 
is going to take a pounding from time to time. That's just the facts of the matter. That's the truth of the matter. That's what Jesus said. Both houses went through both circumstances. The difference is the house that was built upon the rock stood, and Jesus called them wise. The house that was built upon the world and the world system of doing things, Jesus called them unwise or foolish. And the Bible says, and great was its fall. And I know the big struggle in the church today is the big struggle in the church a lot of times is the marriage and divorce rate in the church is just as high as it is in the world. The divorce rate in the world is 52%. The divorce rate in the church is 51%. I'm not bashing on you if you've been divorced. I'm saying if you have been divorced and you're looking to get remarried, if you have been divorced and are remarried, here's what needs to happen. We need to start building our foundation on something different than we've ever built it on. I want you to throw everything out the window about what Oprah said, about what Dr. Phil said, about what all the people say, about what your best friend who's been divorced eight times has told you about how to have a good marriage because he's had so much experience. Listen, if you need marriage counseling, don't go to somebody who's been divorced eight or nine times. Go to the old gray-haired couple in the church who had never been divorced, who's celebrating their 48th or 49th year of marriage, and look at them straight in the eye and says, I need what you got and you need to start talking to me. And you buy that old couple coffee and pie. And you tell them, I'm going to sit down, I'm just going to shut up and listen. Tell me stories about the best of times and the worst of times in your life. Because I've got to know how you made it. 49, 50 years in the world we live in. And you're still going strong. If you build your house on the rock, Jesus said, it will not fall. So the one thing you got to look at is, where am I building my house? You're in church this morning. That is great, and I applaud it. But just because you're in church does not mean you're building your house on the rock. It means you're getting instructions of how to build your house on the rock. And if you're here this morning, I praise God because I believe God can do a transformational work in your marriage right now, right here. But if you don't carry it out past those doors, you hadn't built your house on the rock. You just got a good instruction paper. I want you to make a decision before you leave here. What am I going to change in my life to affect my family in a positive way this week towards the kingdom of God? What are you going to change? Because if you don't leave here with an intent to change, you won't ever change when you get out there. Be thinking about what you're going to begin to do different. The first thing you've got to begin to do is this. You've got to be intentional about your family and about your marriage. When you put intent on something, it means you put focus on it. It means you begin to look at it. You begin to stare at it. You begin to spend time with it. You begin to make it an active part of your everyday thought process. Listen to these statistics. 24 hours after you hear this message, you will have forgotten 90% of it. If you're not intentional about writing points down and about going back over it and reviewing it, 90% of it you will have forgotten within 24 hours. You'll remember the funny video clip. You'll remember a couple of funny punchlines that I said. You'll maybe remember one thing that stuck in your head that I said, but within 24 hours you'll have forgotten 90% of this message. In 30 days you will remember less than 1% of this message if you are not intentional about doing something with this message. I need you to make a decision that you're going to be intentional about doing something in your marriage, doing something in your kids' lives, doing something in your grandbabies' lives. Intentional means this. Do you remember when you were intentional about something, anything? It doesn't even have to be a relationship. When you were intentional about a career plan at work and you were going to make these accomplishments, what did you do? You worked at it. You invested your life into it. You studied. You meditated. You thought about strategic steps to take. In your marriage, when is the last time you thought about taking strategic steps in your marriage to make it a better marriage? Strategic steps are this. They are steps that you're so serious about that you have written down about things I'm going to do in my marriage to make it better. Strategic steps with your kids. You have it written down that things you're going to do better with your kids. You have written down things you're going to do better with your parents if you're kids. Strategic steps. I'm talking be intentional. 
Remember when you first started dating the love of your life? Some of you are still married to him, some of you ain't. <laughs> you first started dating the love of your life. You were very strategic on how you were going to approach them, what you were going to do, the dates you were going to go on. I mean, you thought it out. I mean, you figured this out. You had a plan in place. And oh, Lord, if something tried to get in the way of that plan, <laughs> you went off. And you made sure nothing got in the way of that plan. Nothing got in your way. You were so intentional about this strategic plan that nothing could get you off course. Does that sound like your marriage today? You know, I got to confess, me and my wife have been married 12 years today, but there's been times in our marriage when we got very unstrategical and we would just kind of go with the ebbs and flows of life. And then we got serious about three or four years ago. Serious in just one area, which has made us be very strategic in every other area. We got serious because some little bald man on a TV screen in there started screaming at us about, get envelopes and put your money right. <laughs> okay, you hadn't been through Dave Ramsey if you're not laughing, amen? And we got very strategic in one area, just one area, and that was our money. But when you get strategic about your money, oh Lord Jesus, it affects everything. I didn't like Dave Ramsey for the first year and a half. I didn't like my wife for the first year and three months. <laughs> I got told no quite a bit. And what we figured out is we're both nerds in that perspective, but she's just better at handling household money because she's got more discipline. I love to go eat. I love to go eat anywhere. That's my thing to do, and I will blow an obscene amount of money going to eat. I mean, over and over again, just because I love to do it. That's what's fun for me. And she said, you know, we can't go out to eat very much anymore. Excuse me? I would come up with all kinds of reasons. But then we got on board together. We got very strategic. We became very intentional. We became very focused. And today, nothing gets us off that course because we realize that when we begin to be disciplined in one area, it overflows into every other area of our life. I want you to become strategic in one area of your life. It does not have to be money. Maybe you become very strategic in how you pray for your spouse or pray for your family. And we're going to go over that at the end of this message. But become very strategic. Become intentional. The word remember is used 161 times in the ESV version of the Bible. I think it's important if it is used 161 times, the word remember. If you don't get intentional, you will not remember how to build your house on the rock. The first thing you got to do is you got to get intentional. We talked about this in the last series. You got to get mad sometimes about the way things are going. Mad enough that you're not going to go off on your spouse or off on your loved one or off on your kids. Mad enough so you'll change yourself. Because it doesn't mean no good to get mad at my wife if I'm not going to change me in the process. It doesn't mean no good to get mad at my kids if I'm not going to change me and learn how to teach them to be raised up to be men of God. So whenever I find myself getting angry or mad, I look at myself and say, what do I got to change in me? And I begin to be very intentional about who I am. And so this morning, you need to become intentional about something. Some of you are in here this morning and, you, and you're maybe a widower or you're widowed and you're a grandmother or a grandfather and all you really have to live for is your grandbabies. I want you to become very intentional about them grandbabies. Don't just spoil them with candy. You teach them about the goodness of God when you give them that Hershey bar. If you're going to spoil them, spoil them, spoil them with an intent. <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to give them something, I'm going to make sure they know how much Jesus has blessed them. You know, this is what they eat in heaven, baby, is Hershey bars. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just playing. But if you're going to spoil them, be intentional about it. Have a reason on why you're giving them something. Talk about legacy. Talk about history. Talk about how you're at this point in your life because of the goodness of God and quality decisions you make. And because you make quality decisions in the past, I'm able to bless you now, baby. And I do it because I love you. Just get intentional. Have a reason behind why you do what you do and how you're going to do it. And watch how God begins to move and bless and manifest himself in your life. So the first thing you need to know is be intentional this morning. The next thing you need to know this morning is you got to quit being zombies. you got to quit being zombies in your house. 
Moms and dads, you both work all day and you get home and you both throw your coats off and you kick your shoes off and you look at each other like, what you making for dinner? And you walk around with this glazed look over your eye. You go to the fridge, you close the fridge. You go to the pantry, close the pantry. Honey, we ain't got nothing to eat. Does it sound familiar in any households? I know ours ain't the only house that's like this, I promise. I know it's not like that. We got to quit becoming zombies. What are zombies? Zombies are people with no life in them. They are literally walking dead. They may look alive. They have no life. They may have a semblance of life, but it's just existing. It's really not living. It's really not living. If we would quit being zombies in our households and we would start living again in our households, I remember these stories of couples when they would first get married and they were broke as all get out and had no money. And boy, they were just so excited to sit down at a card table with, with boxes and eat hot dogs together. Some of you are like, oh Lord, I ain't never had it that bad. See, you already got something to praise God about this morning. Now you have a nicer house, a nicer car, and, and things are good in your life. And you sit down to a great meal and you don't even like the food that's in front of you. Man, we become so, so, zo- I don't even know how zombified I'd like to say, but it's not even a word. So, so zombie-like in our, in our households that we go home and we don't really want to spend time with the kids. So we give them Playstations and TVs and Xboxes and, and Nabbies and, and, and iPhones and iPads and all this stuff. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And our house is like walking dead people. The kids go to bed, and you sit on couches opposite each other. Y'all should just, my wife is just going to sit up here, and y'all laugh at her, because she knows what I'm talking about, us, and she knows. And we'll sit on couches opposite each other. I have my phone, she has hers, and I have my laptop, and she has hers. And we've done this before, and it cracked us up. And we Facebook back and forth, sitting in the same room in the same house. We've done it. Just the messages keep going. Public out there for the whole world to see. And it's fun once in a while to have something like that. But when that becomes your way and your standard of living, and I praise God in our house, that's not our standard of living. But when that becomes your way and your standard of living, you have no longer begun or continued to live. You have just simply began to exist. And you are literally in a coffin because your life is going into this. It's going into a rut. And a rut is this. It's a coffin with both ends kicked out. And you're just waiting for the end, you're just waiting for the end of the rut. And when you get to the end of that rut, you're going to stop and you're going to realize everything's coming ahead of you. And that's going to close the other end off. And you're going to wake up one day realizing your marriage is dead, your kids are dead, and your family is dead. And you wondered, how did I get here? It's because you started existing and you hadn't really been living jesus said this in the gospel of john my words are spirit and they are life a lot of families simply exist because the word of god is not an operation in their house if jesus said my words are spirit and they are life that means if your family is just existing when you start imparting the word of god into your household life begins to come back into your house Life begins to manifest in your house. Life begins to take place in your house. When you begin to apply the word of God, remember what Jesus said, he who hears these words of mine and does them. Doing requires taking a step of faith. Doing requires stepping out there like never before. Doing requires applying the word of God to your household. And if we are ever gonna get past the point of existing and really start living and give the world something to look at, It's going to take the word of God to change us. See, the Bible says this. The word of God is living and active. The Bible also says this. Heaven and earth are going to pass away before the word of God passes away. And so if it's that true, if it's that life transforming, if it is that life changing, and Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life, why don't we want to put it back in our house? I don't want to see household after household have a great crash. 
I want us to begin to apply the word of God into every area of our life so much so that the applied word of God in our house, it doesn't become something we do. It becomes something our life revolves around. I don't want it to be sprinkled a little bit here and there in your family's life. I want it to be the center point of your life and you revolve around it. It doesn't revolve around you. I want when you open up the word of God, I don't want you to apply it to your life. I want you to apply your life to it. See, a lot of people, we get in trouble. A lot of people get in trouble because we read this and we say, oh, the wise man built his house upon the rock. How does that apply to me? You've read it wrong. You read it, oh, the wise man built his house upon the rock. How do I apply myself to this? Because this isn't dying. This isn't going away. You are. So if you're dying and going away, what needs to be applied to what? We need to be applied to this, not this applied to us. The problem with misinterpretation of scriptures is we try to make this fit our lives. Your lives are not perfect. So therefore, you're trying to apply perfection to imperfection. You need to put imperfection up against the perfection and watch how you change, not try to change it. The word of God must be central point in your life. And if it does not become central point, your life will be a walking dead person. And you'll wonder one of these days, how in the world did we get here? How in the world, honey, did we find ourselves at this point? It's because we've never really started living. We've just been satisfied with existing my final point this morning is this it's called the change the change of your life I talked early in the beginning of this message how your life needs to change the Bible cannot just be a part of your life it has to be the center point of your life when Jesus came and he delivered the Sermon on the Mount I said this in the last series and I'm gonna say it again because it's revolutionary when Jesus came and did the Sermon on the Mount he did not institute a new religion Jesus wanted to institute a new kingdom he did not come for Christianity's sake. He came to introduce the kingdom of heaven on this earth. That means there would be a change in government. There would be a change in politics. There would be a change in social structure, social dynamics, religion, and everything else. There would be a change in economics all across the board because he did not come to institute a religion. He came for you to have in your life what the Germans call a gestalt, a complete change in something that affects every area of your life. And when Jesus came, he instituted the kingdom, and the kingdom affects everything. When you get involved in a kingdom, everything changes. When you get involved in a kingdom, government change, politics change, social dynamics change, religion changes, and economics change. How many of you want to change for the positive in your economics in your household? Uh, okay, I really do. I would love a positive economic change in my household. We're not bad, but I would love to give a lot more to the kingdom. So I would love a positive economic change. If we relegate Christianity to just a religion and it's just something we do on Sunday morning and it's just something we do when we're in trouble and it's just something we do when we need something from God and it's just something we do we will end up falling with a great crash because Christianity was never designed to be a religion it was designed to be the manifestation of the kingdom of God here in this earth to transform every part of culture and I want to see that change I want to see that change take place I want you to consider how Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. And this is the Lord's Prayer, and it's very common. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For, you, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you of your trespasses. Now that's the Lord's Prayer, and this is the verse after that. Now, I want you to read this with a different mindset. 
I don't want you to read it as Jesus teaching a Christian person how to pray. I don't want you to read it like that. I want you to make a change in how you read this. We're not changing the scripture. We're adding a new dimension to the scripture. It's taking you deeper than you've ever gone before. What if you begin to pray, and instead of taking out all the terms of Christianity in there, you took those out and you put family in there. And you put our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done in my family as it is in heaven. See, God's got a way he sees your family in heaven, and I guarantee you a lot of our families aren't resembling what God says he should be seeing. So if we begin to pray this prayer like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done in my family as it is in heaven. Oh, Lord Jesus, some of us would have to start changing something. And then he would go on to say, give my family this day our daily bread and forgive my family of our debts as we also forgive other families of their debts and lead my family not into temptation but deliver my family from evil for if my family forgives others their trespasses heavenly father you'll also forgive my family but if we my family do not forgive others neither will you god forgive my family what would happen if you started praying the lord's prayer like that over your family every single day Men, you got up in the morning. I'm not saying you have some big church service. Men, you got up in the morning, spent 30 seconds praying that prayer like that. Praying that prayer that would say, Heavenly Father, your kingdom come, your will be done in my family today as you see it in heaven. You can't pray a better prayer for your wife. You can't pray a better prayer for your kids because you're saying, God, I want my kids and your kingdom manifest in them the way you see it manifesting in them up there. You're submitting your life to the will and the purposes of God. The change that has got to take place is you've got to start instituting your family into the word of God. When you read Psalm chapter 91, institute your family's name into there. When you read Psalm 23, put your family in there. Quit making the scripture so generic that it, it doesn't affect you anymore. Change it to where it has a profound effect on you. Because when I began to write that prayer out, and I began to pray, Father, forgive my family of our debts. As we forgive other families of their debts. Oh, Lord, that just hit me hard. Our family can't carry grudges. Our family must be forgiving. Because if my family doesn't start forgiving, then God says we can't experience his full forgiveness. And what if we as a church over the next eight weeks of this series began to pray that over our family every single day. Husbands would pray it for their wives. Wives would pray it for their husbands. Kids would pray it for their parents. And parents would pray it for their kids. And grandparents for their grandbabies. And grandbabies for their grandparents. And, and we began to just pray that over each other fervently every single day. What would begin to take place in the family? I'll tell you what would take place. Heaven itself would begin to manifest. And all the things of hell would begin to break loose. And here's the good thing about all hell breaking loose. Hell can't leave unless it's broken off you. And some of you guys, you say, every time I take a step of faith, every time I take a step towards Jesus, it seems like all hell breaks loose. And I've heard that term in my office more than you'll ever know. Well, if it doesn't break loose, it ever, can't ever leave. So when it starts breaking loose, let go of it. Don't hang on to it. Yes, you'll be uncomfortable for a season. But when you start operating in the manifest will of God for your life, and you realize that God's bringing you to a place that you've never been before, go with him. See, some of our families have been flying upside down so long you think upside down is right side up and the minute god turns your plane right side up you freak out because you don't know how to go home and not fight because you fight all the time and there's no such thing as peace in the household and when somebody says honey like the end of this video honey we got to talk you're wishing they would be going over a cliff when they said it because when we say honey we got to talk you're already gearing up for the fight 
Well, let's change all that. Throughout this family series, we're going to change all these dynamics. And we're going to hit on a ton of issues from moms and dads to sex to, to, to marriages to, to kids to, to everything you can imagine. We're going to hit on it. You guys did great responding with some emails. And so when I saw that video clip, I realized, hey, that's not too far off. And so knowing that, would you begin to pray the Lord's Prayer by putting the church in there? Lord God, your kingdom come, your will be done at TWBC the way it is in heaven. Give TWBC this day our daily bread. And God, lead TWBC not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Lord, help us be a church that forgives. Because unless we forgive, we won't give forgiven the way we need it. I'm telling you, watch how God begins to revolutionize family. What's the one change you're going to make in your life today, right now, before you leave this building? Don't leave this building until you decided what you're going to change. That prayer that I just read with my family in place in there, it's going to be in tomorrow's email. So you can go the, 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 the instructed way out this morning. I'll say that. I'm not going to call the Lord's Prayer cheap or easy, okay? Because it's not. I'm going to say you can go out with an intentional this morning. I'm saying, I'm going to pray that Lord's Prayer over my life every single day. But I'm going to put the family in there. And I'm going to put the family in there to an extent that I see a change in my family. 